Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Blountstown, Chipley, and Mariana, as we are beginning our summer series that we're calling First Love. And I am really excited about this summer series because we're going to be spending time in like one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. And uh, it was one of my dad's favorite letters that he used to talk about all the time. He'd tell me, he said, Paul, man, this book is the checkbook of the believer. And if you want to know how rich you are in Christ and how blessed you are as a follower of Jesus, go read the book of Ephesians. Now, before we get into today's talk, I want to uh, I want to remind you, if you haven't signed up for a small group or you hadn't looked into being part of a small group for this summer, I would really encourage you to do that because I think this series will be much richer and more meaningful if you're sharing it and discussing it, discussing it with other people throughout the week. In fact, if you like uh, just want to put your own little small group together and discuss it during the summer series, that'd be great because we, we really want you to go um, through this summer just absolutely experiencing uh, God at a whole nother level. So, so make sure uh, that you sign up uh, through the RCC app or the website, or you can stop by the gallery at any of our campuses if you have any questions. Be glad to answer any questions that you have. Now, to get us started in our conversation today, I want you to think about this question. Do you wonder if the church matters in America anymore? Do you wonder? Maybe you're with us today at one of our churches, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you walked away from the church at some point, and, and you're pretty sure in your mind, uh, it doesn't. Maybe you feel like it's an outdated institution, or, or you feel like the church causes more pain than having any kind of positive impact, or maybe you're with us today at one of our churches, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're frustrated. Because you don't feel like the church really cares about anybody anymore. You, you feel like that there's so much more that the church could be and that the church should be. Maybe you feel like there's something missing from the church. Maybe you've tried several different churches and you're like, there's just something missing. Well, this summer, I want to give us all something to think about and to process as we think about how we feel and think about the church. This is why we're beginning a week study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. What we know in the New Testament as the book of Ephesians. Now, like any book or any letter that you might pick up and read, understanding some of the history and the context around it is very helpful in getting the most out of that letter or that book. So today, we're going to give you kind of a background of the letter and the church that the Apostle Paul is writing to. I want you to kind of understand their context and what they're going through. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised to see how much we can get out of that for our lives in the 21st century, how it can not only help us grow in our relationship with God, in our walk with Jesus, but even more important, our understanding and our perspective of what the church could be and what the church should be. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. We know how this church in Ephesus got its started. Because we can read about it in another New Testament document in the New Testament called, we call it the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is a historical narrative that documents what happens from the time that Jesus ascended back to heaven after the resurrection, and it documents how the message of Jesus spread from Jerusalem to Judea and to all the known world at that time, the Mediterranean realm. And what's so interesting about this is, 
A good portion of the book of Acts, beginning somewhere around chapter 9, tells us how the Apostle Paul and his team begin to spread the message of Jesus to all of the known world at that time. And it's in this account that we learn that the Apostle Paul was one of the key people in planting and launching the church at Ephesus. Now, wouldn't that be cool to have the Apostle Paul launching your church? Now, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul's background, let me just tell you why I say we think that would be so amazing. It's worth mentioning that when we first meet the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, in chapter 7 or at the end of chapter 7, he is an extremely zealous Jewish religious leader. Meaning this, he is a Pharisee and he was doing whatever he could to disrupt and stop the message of the spreading of the gospel or Jesus. And because of an amazing encounter that the Apostle Paul has with Jesus, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. It's amazing how his life changes. And when we catch up with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, he is on his third missionary or church planting journey. Now we find him in the city of Ephesus. And he's trying to convince people at this point in time that they should follow Jesus. And I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul does when he gets to Ephesus, beginning in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Here's what it says. Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But notice what happens. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So to kind of help you understand what's happening, part of the Apostle Paul's missionary method or church launching method was to go into a town, he would identify Jewish people like himself, and then he would go into their synagogue and he would explain the resurrection and the message of Jesus to them. He would help them understand that Jesus really was their long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus wasn't some deviation from the Jewish faith But he was the fulfillment of the promise of the coming Messiah. And you can imagine, as it says, there there were some people that became stubborn and they rejected his message because that's not what they believed. So notice what he does in the next part, the last part of verse 9. He says, so Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. So some of the Jewish people became believers. And then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, notice what he does here. This is pretty incredible when you notice his pattern. This went on for the next two years so that all the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jew and Greek, meaning those who were not Jews, being the Gentiles, that would also include all of us, heard the word of the Lord. So as the Apostle Paul was preaching in the synagogue for three months, some Jews, they came to faith, and they became followers of Jesus. And then as his practice was, the Apostle Paul, he takes these new converts, these new followers of Jesus, and he goes into the town square to engage the Gentiles of the city, the non-Jewish people. And I don't want you to miss that. Because this is a very important detail about the origin story of this church in Ephesus. See, this church was made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. 
And here's why this is such a big deal. The racial barrier, the racial tension between the Jews and Gentiles at that time in Ephesus was very, very intense. So forming this united, um, harmonious um, group of people that would get along, would have harmony with each other. I mean, it's like, that was almost impossible. I mean, that would be as difficult um, a task as you could ever imagine. So trying to find a church or trying to form a church, I could say it that way, a unified group of followers of Jesus from these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles in that city, it was no small task. And as you're going to see throughout this letter, as we look into the letter at um, the church at Ephesus and in, in Ephesians, what you're going to see is you're going to see this theme kind of surface throughout our conversation over these next eight weeks. And, and here's why that is so important for you to know. Because racial tension is still a reality today, isn't it? So, so as a church, we can't ignore this. As followers of Jesus, it's why we say we have to be for everyone. As followers of Jesus, we must stay committed to working through all the cultural tensions around race and be a community of faith that is known for its love and its unity. And I'm going to show you why that's so important today. But I'm telling you, it's a challenging thing to accomplish. And it was a challenging thing for the church at Ephesus to accomplish as well, to put aside their differences. But the reality is, as we're going to see, they did it. And one of the things that helped them to accept this message that the Apostle Paul was preaching was some of the things that the Apostle Paul was able to do as he was preaching. Because God gave the Apostle Paul the power at times to perform these amazing miracles. And God used these miracles as a way to show people what the Apostle Paul was teaching was absolutely the truth. So as you can imagine, all of this got the attention of the Ephesians. In other words, they began to hear his message. It was different. They began to listen to it. And then they saw him do these miracles, and a large number of them began following Jesus. As a matter of fact, Luke, who was with the Apostle Paul, and he recorded all the events in Acts, tells us that after one of these miracles, I want you to notice what happens in verse 17 of chapter 19. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to the Jews and the Gentiles or the Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Now notice this next thing that happens, because it's changing lives. Here's what happens. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practice. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their intentation incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. Now, some of you who are my age or older, you understand that back in the 70s, right? Some people tried to practice this, burning records and books, right? Y'all remember that deal? So this is where it kind of started. People got the idea there. Notice this, that this is no small thing. The value of the books was several million dollars. So about the message about the Lord had spread widely and had a powerful effect. So I want you to make sure you get what is happening here. The gospel message is advancing in the city. 
People are turning from sorcery, from paganism, and they're coming to faith in Jesus. And they're not just saying that. They're changing their priorities. They're changing their habits. They are all in. The entire city is feeling the powerful impact of these people coming to Jesus and this launching of this church that the Apostle Paul is doing. So much so, it is changing the culture of the community. In fact, so many people are turning to faith that it's hurting the business of the people who sell idols and shrines to people for their worship in these pagan temples. And here's the thing we know. When you start messing with people's money, they get mad, right? See, Luke tells us in this in verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. How did it happen? Well, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Armidas. He, he kept making many, or he kept many craftsmen busy. That should be Artemis, by the way. All right, I want you to notice what happens right here. He calls all these craftsmen together. This is the first union meeting, okay? He calls all these craftsmen together with all their employees in similar traits, and he addresses them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, but... As you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. It's incredible. This is not just happening in the town, in the city. He's saying this is spreading throughout the whole entire region. I mean, this is so powerful when you think about it. I mean, think about what's going on here. The local silversmith idol manufacturer union, they are so upset that so many people are coming to faith in Jesus and these people's allegiance to Jesus, I mean, it is now only to Jesus. Jesus is their first love. So it's putting this dent in the idol manufacturing business. But not only in Ephesus, but in the entire region as well. I mean, the church at Ephesus was turning their city, their culture upside down with this good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now, imagine that. Imagine launching a church that was having such an impact that it started changing the financial culture and the whole culture of a region. That's what's happening here. Now, they had religious, they had cultural, and they had social forces against them, stacked all against them. But they're this vibrant church that became this movement that turned their world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I and mean, this is a church that had a powerful and a very impactful beginning. But here's the thing that's very interesting. What is unique about the church at Ephesus is we know how it started. It had this amazing, amazing beginning. Turn their culture upside down with the gospel of Jesus. But the thing is also interesting, and it's the only church we understand this in, in the New Testament, is we know it's beginning and we know how it ends. 
Some churches, we know how they began. Some churches, we know how they ended. We, we know how it began and ended. We know what happened to it. See, the church at Ephesus not only appears in the book of Acts and the book of Ephesians, but it also appears in the book of Revelation. Because see, the book of Revelation was written about 30 years after the book of Ephesians. And it was written by the apostle John who received this vision from Jesus. And part of that vision was about some things that were to come. And that's what most people think about whenever they think about the book of Revelation. But it also included in the first three chapters some warnings to actual first century churches that existed. And, and here's the thing that we have to understand. The church at Ephesus was one of those churches that we find in the beginning of the letter or the writing of the book of Revelation. In fact, I want you to notice the message that Jesus told John to write to the church at Ephesus. Understand, this is Jesus' words through John to the church at Ephesus. Now, here's why I want you to notice this as we begin this series. One is, I'm about 30 years into pastoring here. This letter was written to the church at Ephesus about 30 years after the Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians. So they're about 35 years in as a church. Because I don't think this warning is just for the church at Ephesus. It's a warning for us as a church as well. Not just for us, but for all churches. I want you to notice this in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is saying, he says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have even patiently suffered for me without quitting. And you read this and you think, wow, they're still an amazing church. I mean, look at what Jesus commends them for. He commends them for two things particularly. First of all, for their right behavior. He says, you know, you've worked hard, you have endured, you've been patiently endured. And he even commends them for their right beliefs. He says, you don't tolerate any kind of heresy or any kind of false teaching or any kind of apostasy. They have suffered for the Lord. They haven't quit. And there was so much as we saw that was working against them as a culture. So what could possibly be wrong with this church? I mean, they had this explosive beginning that turned their culture up to, upside down. They have right behaviors. They have right beliefs. What more do you want in a church? Jesus says, that's not enough. Notice what Jesus says to them next. And we need to pay attention to this because it's not inconsequential to us. It's a warning to us as well. Here's what Jesus says to them. Yet I have this against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You have left your first love. So consider how far you have, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So I, I don't want you to miss this. The church's undoing at Ephesus 
wasn't the toxicity of the culture on the outside. It wasn't external opposition to the gospel. It wasn't any of the persecution that they had to endure. In fact, Jesus, he promised, even before he went back to heaven, he says, those things that oppose the church from the outside, they're never going to be the church's undoing. The undoing of the church at Ephesus was an internal problem. They had forgotten why they existed. They had forgotten where their power came from. They had left their first love. They made an exchange. They made right behavior and right beliefs the destination. They made that the focus. And Jesus is reminding them their power to transform their lives, to transform their culture, wasn't from their right behavior or their doctrinal correctness, even though that is very, very important. Their fruitfulness was not simply because they endured hard things. What made the church at Ephesus so incredible in the beginning was their first love for God, which was displayed by the way that they loved each other. See, what made the church at Ephesus so incredible was their first love for Jesus. They were driven by love to love. In fact, when you open up to chapter one of the book of Ephesians, that's exactly what the apostle Paul was commending this church for, their love for Jesus. I want you to notice how he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Notice what he writes. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord, displayed by your love for God's people, that's basically what he's saying there. He says, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. So why does their strong faith in Jesus and their love for each other cause the Apostle Paul to be so grateful that he has not stopped thanking God for them? Well, the Apostle Paul commends them because they're just overflowing with God's love for them and is flowing out onto other people. See, their strong faith and their love for God, it was displayed through their love for other people. And the Apostle Paul is excited about this because he knows because this is his third missionary journey, that it is so easy to get distracted from our first love. Now, here's the thing. We, we know that the church in America and throughout the world has encountered some very difficult things over the past few years. I mean, our culture, especially in America, has grown more and more toxic all the time. The politicalization of the church and, and Christianity has been very destructive to the Christian community. But nothing has had more of a negative impact on us than people who call themselves followers of Jesus who have left their first love. They don't love God or each other like they used to. Followers of Jesus who have forgotten that the highest calling, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Who have forgotten this, that the church is a movement of people driven by the command of Jesus to love everyone as he loved us. See, nothing has hurt the church more than followers of Jesus who treat relationships so casually that they can walk away from them. 
They can absolutely leave a congregation they've been part of for years. They can walk away from them without simply saying a word. Nothing has hurt the church more than followers of Jesus who insult or cancel other followers of Jesus because they just disagree with them. See, nothing has hurt the church more than followers of Jesus who have quietly quit or, or maybe they didn't quietly quit and they became cynical and they disengaged from their part in building up the body of Christ. Listen, no philosophical, no religious rhetoric in the news media or in the world on the outside will be the church's undoing. No, no amount of social upheaval in our culture will halt the church. The church has overcome all of those things and so much more over the last 2,000 years, and Jesus promised it would. But the thing that the church cannot overcome is when people who call themselves followers of Jesus lose their first love. And one of the ways you know you've lost your first love is you no longer see yourself as the church when you look in the mirror. No, you say, it's the church, that church. So Jesus says, a church cannot thrive without its first love. A strong faith in Jesus, which is displayed by the way that we love everyone. That, that's why the Apostle Paul was so excited when he had been planted this church and then he left and a few little years later, he writes them back and he goes, wow, 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 wow. You are living this life of love. And I believe it's why right after affirming the church's strong faith and their love for the people, the Apostle Paul, he just shares this prayer. He bursts out in this prayer that he's been praying for the church at Ephesus. And I'm sure as he prayed it, he understood, God, protect this church from drifting because we all have a tendency to drift from our first love to drift from what matters most, to get distracted from Jesus and his body the church as our first love. And this prayer is a prayer that is the beginning of a prayer that we're gonna build throughout this series that I'm gonna encourage you to pray for each other as a church. In fact, for the next eight weeks, I wanna challenge all of you. You ready? Here's the big challenge for the next eight weeks. I wanna challenge you not to say a critical word about the church, and I'm not just referring to our church, to our, about our church or any church for eight weeks. Don't say a critical word about any Christian out there. For eight weeks, can, can, can you not criticize for eight weeks? And you go, well, what do you want us to do instead? Because that's all we know to do about the church, right? I want us to focus on praying for the church because here's what we all know. Criticism and condemnation has never changed anything. No one and nothing has ever changed because of criticism and condemnation. I mean, like nobody's sitting in any of our churches this morning going, oh, you know who I am, who I, I am who I am. I'm like, I love Jesus so much because people criticize me and condemn me so much till I got it. I got his love. Not even maybe. So no one and nothing has changed through criticism and condemnation. But a heart that has been transformed through prayer can change the church. And it will change the church. So today, I want to close as the Apostle Paul closes the first chapter of Ephesians with his prayer. 
And I'm gonna share this as a prayer over you, our church, with a few comments in it. The prayer begins in verse 16. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, I pray for you. I want everybody to say this word with me when I get there this time. You ready? I pray for you constantly. Not I criticize you constantly. Listen, the apostle Paul could have criticized the church at Ephesus and ran them into the ground even at this point. Every letter he wrote in the New Testament, he could have criticized and criticized and criticized those people. But here's what he says. Now, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So throughout this series, I'm praying for you, our church, that you will grow in your knowledge of God. And just to remind you, growing in your knowledge of God is not about growing in more information about the Bible. It's not growing more in knowledge. It's growing in your love, intimacy, and closeness with God as your heavenly father. Let me change the way that you read the idea of knowledge in the New Testament. See, here's the thing. I'm praying for you that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Listen, some of you, you know my wife, Melody. You, you intellectually know my wife, Melody. But let me help you understand something. I know my wife, Melody. I know my wife, Melody, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. <laughs> I know my wife. I'm trying to make a point because some of you are embarrassed for my wife right now, but here's the reality. <laughs> I appreciate and love my wife at a level none of you ever will be able to because I know her relationally. That's what Paul is praying for, that your intimacy with Jesus will be that kind of love, not a knowledge where you get right behavior and right doctrine and become the most critical, condemning, condescending, cynical person in the seat. He's saying, no, I'm praying that you will really know, grow close to Jesus. So I'm praying for that, that Jesus and his body out of that knowledge, because the more I've grown to know my wife, the more I love her. She's my first love. And I'm praying that the more you grow to know Jesus and his love for you and all those unique things about his spiritual blessings he's blessed you with, that he'll be your first love. Because here's the other thing I know. You, you can't say you love Jesus if you don't love his body. We're going to see that in just a moment. 
That's kind of like saying, Jesus, Jesus, I like your head, but I don't like your body. Because see, here's the thing. When you follow Jesus closely, you're going to love what Jesus loves. You'll love others like Jesus loved. So your growth and your knowledge of Jesus will be displayed through your love for him and for his body. Not only that, I, I'm praying that your hearts will be flooded with light. Listen, it is so easy to get distracted by the chaos and the confusion of the world and think that darkness is light. It's easy for our hearts to get drawn into darkness and overwhelmed with fear and guilt and shame once we get drawn into darkness. But when we lean into Jesus and allow him to flood our hearts with light, it opens up our understanding to all the spiritual blessing, to all the spiritual protection, to all the spiritual provisions that he's already blessed us with in Christ. So I pray that your hearts are so flooded with light that you can see the riches and the resources that you already have in Christ to be victorious and to overcome any sin with love. But that's not all. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. So I'm also praying that you'll understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's available to all of you if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, God's power is unimaginable. We haven't even come close to tapping in to this resurrection power that is available to us. I mean, we, we walk around as Christ followers and we, we talk about being victim and life is so hard and it's so difficult, and it is. But I'm praying your heart will be so flooded with his light so that you can get a glimpse of this tremendous power that you are able to tap into that you'll understand this power so that you'll trust Jesus to bring dead things in your life back to life again and to be victorious in every moment and every step of your life, even though it is hard. Because I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. But one more thing. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. There is your definition for what the church is. I want all of us at all of our churches to say this phrase together. And the church is his body. I want you to say that again. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. That's my prayer for us. I'm praying that through this series, you will grow in your intimacy of God, in your followership of Jesus, that you'll be flooded with Jesus' light so you can see Jesus clearer than you've ever seen. I'm praying that you'll tap into the spiritual blessings and the resurrection power that is available to you. And I'm praying that you'll begin to comprehend the greatness of Jesus and the amazingness of his body. And I'm praying that you'll be here to learn what this is like. And I'm praying that you'll get in a small group this summer and you just won't waste your time, but you'll dive in and you'll say, God, we're praying this for each other and we're going to lean in and we're gonna understand what it means to know you in an intimate kind of way. That you'll understand the power of Christ. It happens as you internally grow and intentionally grow in your love for Jesus and others. Because here's what I wanna tell you as we begin this series. There is nothing 
There is nothing that has the potential to wreck RCC as a church except a lack of love. A lack of love for Jesus and for each other. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to be praying for each other. And to do that, each week, what we're going to do is we're going to add a phrase to a prayer that we're going to be praying for each other for our church. So this week, the first part of the phrase is, I'm praying for you, our church. So here's my challenge to you. Will you maybe for the first time begin to pray for our church family? No no complaining, no criticizing, just praying. And and if you think about complaining or criticizing or condemning another church or another Christian, just say, no, 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 I'm not doing that for eight weeks. I'm just going to start praying for you, our church. In fact, we have prayer walls in the lobby of all of our campuses, and I want to encourage every one of you to take advantage of these prayer walls throughout this series. On the wall, we're going to encourage you to put notes. You came in at all, all our auditoriums today, and there was a note on your seat. I encourage you to write a prayer request on this. How can someone be praying for you? You can just put your first name on there. You can just put your initials on there. If you don't even want them to know who you are, just make up a name and put it on there. God knows who you are. But what we want to happen for the rest of the series is every week you're going to come in and you're going to find two cards. This card says first love on one side, and each week we're going to add a line to this prayer that we'll be praying for each other. And then we want you to be praying for each other. Put your prayer request on that wall. You just take it. What you do is you'll take it and you'll fold it something like this. You'll put it in a round circle and you'll see there's little one-inch square holes that you'll be able to stick them in on the wire there and then just grab another one. And don't sit around reading all of them to figure out which one you're going to pray. You just pull one and that'll be the one God's wanting you to pray for, right? And we're going to do that for the rest of this series, okay? And um, here's why this is so important. When we're praying for us, It reminds us that Jesus has to be our first love. And the way that we love Jesus is by loving each other and by caring for each other. So our strong faith in the Lord, it is demonstrated by our love for each other. And that will make us, when we get this right, listen, when we get this first love thing right, It will make us as a church a desired destination for those that are outside of the church. So my prayer as a church, as we go through this series, that each week there'll be a a new level of repentance that will happen as we see how far we have fallen from loving Jesus passionately. And one of the ways that's displayed is our lack of love for each other. That you and I, as a church, we will be, be, become this portrait to our communities of the desired destination that the culture around us needs to desire to experience. That is my prayer. Is that the people in our communities will look at our churches because we all are so in love with Jesus, including his body, each other. That they'll go, wow. That's a portrait of the desired destination that I want to get to one day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you you gave us these letters. 
You gave us these documents that we now call our Bible. God, I just thank you that through these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, the Apostle John wrote, that Luke wrote for us. God, that we really understand what it means to grow in our knowledge, our intimacy, our closeness, our oneness with you. And that our hearts will be so flooded with spiritual light that there will be no darkness coming out of our mouth, no condemnation, no criticism, no cynical spirit, but life-giving love And God, I pray that you help us understand the power that we have that is available to us to help us conquer those habits, those negative, automatic negative thoughts, all of those things that keep us down and bound. We have resurrection power to bring dead things back to life. God, I thank you for that. Because there have been many of us who've been fighting battles. And we didn't understand the power that's available to us who believe. So God, I, I just pray that you help us this week to lean into your love and just live with a commitment saying every day I understand that Jesus is not my first love. I'm gonna repent. When I see how far I have fallen because of a comment a cynical attitude, a criticizing spirit, not seeing myself in the mirror as, as part of the body, the church. When I realize how far I've fallen, I will repent and return to my first love. God, that's our prayer. That's our commitment. Help us to lean into this so much that we become a portrait of a desired destination for every person in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here for this series. Read chapter two of next, for next week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great day.